0: Well, we also have a sermon today, so uh, in his book, uh, Soul Keeping, great book, uh, John Orberg, one of my favorite authors, uh, shares about one of the last times he spent with Dallas Willard, another one of my favorite authors. Dallas Willard mentored John Orberg for about two years. John was a younger pastor when he first approached uh, Dallas Willard to mentor him and Dallas at the time was a retired uh, professor of philosophy from the University of Southern California. Some of you have read his books. He he has written most insightfully and profoundly about the Christian life, spirituality, growth in the Christian life, knowing God, those kinds of things. And uh, anyway, on this particular gathering, it was towards the end of his life, and it was one of those last moments. And you know, someone that really has lived well and lived a long life and thought deeply about life with God, when when they kind of say some of their last things, you listen. And so this is one of those times, and Willard began to talk about what really mattered in life. And he said that what matters is the work of helping people know that God is alive, and he's present, and he loves them. What really matters is the work of, of helping people understand the reality of the kingdom of God, that it's among us and it is available to us. What matters is helping people know that life is precious and yet wasted, as he said, with terrible ease. Life is precious, but wasted with terrible ease. Someone asked or, uh, Willard if he had any regrets, and he, he said he regretted the time that he had wasted. And uh, Orberg was surprised by this because uh, he said of anyone he knew, uh, Willard was about as most on purpose of, of anyone he ever knew. In fact, he said, I, I don't even know if uh, Dallas knows what a TV is, because he's, he's so busy you know, investing his life in significant things. But he, he said this, this was his take on what he believed Willard meant. He said, I think Dallas said he regretted all the time he wasted, not because he compared himself to other more efficient people but because he began to see what life could be. I remember a phrase I had heard from him years ago about how all of us lost souls allow ourselves to live in worry and anger and self-importance and pettiness when life with God is all around us. Life with God is all around us. His kingdom is near. We can experience it. And we have this calling, this mission to help other people know about this life with God and helping them experience it. But as he said, we can waste this opportunity with terrible ease. We can miss out because we allow ourselves, as he says, to live in worry and anger and self-importance. In other words, we can miss out because we let sin continue to have a place in our lives that keeps us from experiencing the kind of life with God that is possible, that he has made so abundantly possible. And we can allow sin a place in our lives that hinders us from helping others come to know and experience this life with God. So Peter is going to tell us in the passage that we're looking at today that we need to be done with sin, done with sin. Sin. We're coming to First Peter chapter four, and uh, Peter wants us to understand that, that if we're not done with sin, it's going to keep us from living out our true calling, our true identity, and it's going to keep us from living on mission in the way that God wants us to be on mission, the mission of proclaiming the excellencies of God. And so this morning, I want to see what he says about uh, being done with, with sin. And uh, the first thing he says is that if we're going to be done with sin, we need to take up the mindset of Christ. Need to take up the mindset of Christ. Look at verse one. He says, "Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same purpose, because he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin." And so, this is the main command in the passage: to arm yourselves also with the same purpose. That Christ had. And, and to arm yourself is kind of the idea of uh, it's like put, take, make sure you take up the right equipment for the task in front of you. So if, uh, if you're gonna go out and play a game of football, you arm yourselves with pads and helmets and those kinds of things. That's arming yourself for the task in front of you. That's what's appropriate in light of that task. And the equipment Peter says that we need to take up is the mindset of Christ. We need to take up and be equipped with the mindset of Christ. Now, what is that mindset? Well, the connective here, therefore, goes back to chapter 318. It's a passage we looked at last week. 318 is where Peter said that Christ died for sins once for all. He died for sin. And so this is how Christ has suffered in the flesh. He died. Jesus had this settled resolve to obey God regardless of the consequences. And for him, of course, the consequence was to go to the cross, to suffer and die on the cross. That's the mindset that Jesus had. We are to be armed with the same kind of resolve to obey God regardless of what that might mean, regardless of what kind of suffering that might mean for us. And so be equipped with that mindset. But what's the task? What's the task? The task is being done with sin. Peter makes this amazing statement. He says, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And, and by the flesh, he, he's not using Flesh, like Paul does, where flesh is kind of that fallen, sinful part of us. Peter is using flesh to mean in the realm of the flesh. He means our earthly existence. So he who has suffered in this life has ceased from sin. Now, if you're like me, I'm sure you're going, what in the world does that mean? Because I sure don't feel like I've ceased from sin. What does it mean that uh, that we've ceased from sin? Well, I think there's there's several possibilities. It's possible that he's talking about um, conversion in in Romans 6-7. Paul makes a statement that he who has died with Christ, when you become a believer, the old self dies. You die with Christ and you're set free from sin. In other words, the one who comes to saving faith in Jesus, you've died with him and you're set free from the bondage to sin. You don't have to sin. And, And so that's possible. I don't think that's what Peter's talking about. That's theologically true that we're set free from sin. I don't think that's what Peter has in mind here. Another option is that Peter is saying that the one who suffers actually through that experience of suffering, learns to not sin. In other words, there's something refining about uh, suffering. There's something about it that refines us and transforms us. something about it that strengthens our resolve not to sin. And I I would guess, uh, you know, some of you have suffered here. You've suffered things in life you've suffered for your faith. And, and there's, and you know, I don't feel like I've suffered greatly, but there's ways I've suffered. And there's something about when you go through times of suffering, I think it just sort of, you sort of get clear about stuff. You get clear about what matters. And, and, it, and it may be that kind of thing that he's talking about. There's just sort of a mortifying effect of suffering. It's possible that he's also saying that, that those who suffer for their faith demonstrate that they're willing to be done with sin. In other words, you have an opportunity, you have a choice. You can sort of go the way of the world the easy way, continue to walk in a life of sin, and there's not going to be any suffering maybe there, or you have the option of saying, I'm going to follow Jesus fully. And to do that might mean opposition. It might be some kind of suffering. And so faced with that choice, you go the hard way. You go the way of being willing to suffer. And so by that decision, you show that you're willing, you are resolved to be done with sin. And so I think it's one, this option or the, the other option that sin, uh, suffering teaches us not to sin. Uh, I think Peter's saying that there's something that tra- that's transformative about suffering. I think he's saying that when we suffer in this life, it helps us to be done with sin. And so if we can take up this mindset of Christ, that we're willing to follow him regardless, it will help us be done with sin. It will help us do what he says in verse 2, to live the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for the lust of man, but for the will of God. However many days you have left on planet Earth is to be lived for the will of God. When you become a follower of Jesus, this becomes your purpose to live no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. And Peter's saying that to do this, we need to take up the mindset of Christ of being willing to obey God regardless, regardless of what kind of suffering that choice might bring into our lives. So here's a question for you, something I was reflecting on this week. Are you armed with the mindset of Christ? Have you determined that you're willing to follow Christ, obey God, regardless of what that means, regardless of what kind of opposition that might produce in your lives? Are you armed with the mindset of Christ? You know, for a lot of Christians through through the 2,000 years history of Christianity and many in our day, I mean, that's something they they get clear about real quickly because they live in places where to be a Christ follower means certain suffering, persecution, severe suffering for their faith. And, and so in so many places around the world, they, they have to get clear about this, a willingness to follow Christ regardless. But we kind of live in a place where we can sort of skate by. We can kind of stay fuzzy about this because... So often obeying Christ doesn't lead to clear suffering in our lives. I mean, if we do suffer, it's often more minor kinds of things. And so we we sort of skate by and we don't get clear about this question. But I want to suggest that if we don't get clear about this question, even in our context, in our situation, it is to our own detriment. And it will lead to that terrible wasting of this life that we can experience, this life of God. Let me encourage you to reflect on this question. Do you have the mindset of Christ? Are you willing to obey regardless of what the cost might be? Let me encourage you this week to take some time to reflect on that, to think about that. I think that's something I still need to do this week is to reflect on that. And, and maybe if you come to a place where you say, yes, I, I'm resolved, I'm committed, to, I, I'm going to take up the mind of Christ. Maybe you want to make a sort of a pronouncement to a friend or a spouse that, that you're committing to that. Or maybe you just want to kind of make the commitment, put in your journal, I, I'm committing to take up the mindset of Christ to obey God regardless so that I can be done with sin. Peter also says that if we want to be done with sin, We need to decide that that we've sinned enough. We need to decide that we've sinned enough. Look at verse 3. He says, For the time already past is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lusts, drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. Years back, I was doing campus ministry and and uh, I remember having interactions with young guys that uh, were sort of struggling with this idea of fully yielding their lives to God, and uh, they maybe wouldn't say these words exactly, but the conversation would sort of go like this, and they would say, you know being challenged about fully yielding something along the lines like you know when I, maybe when I get out of college, I get married, have a family then then it's going to kind of make sense i I'll be ready to do that then but but right now i'm I'm just sort of having too much fun I just like I just like what I'm experiencing. And it's just sort of that sense of, you know, there's a sort of pleasure to sin for a time, right? And there's just this sense that uh, there will be a day that in the future when it will make sense to get serious about sin, but not today. That kind of mindset. Peter is saying, whether you're young or old, chronologically, or whether you're young or old in your faith, that when it comes to sin... The time already passed is sufficient. We've had enough time for all of that. The time passed is sufficient. He says the time passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, and he doesn't. He uses that word Gentiles with with real purpose. Um, if you know, kind of read through biblical history, you had. You had the the Gentiles, but then God called out his people, Israel, right? And so you had had Israel, God's chosen people, and you had the Gentiles. And and God has always called out a people, a special people, to to know him and to experience him and to proclaim him. And so that's who we are in this day. That's who we are supposed to be. He says we've had enough time to kind of go the course of the Gentiles. God has called us to live holy lives. If you think back to chapter 2, verse 9 he said this about us he said we're a chosen race a royal priesthood we're a holy nation a people for God's own possession who have been set apart to proclaim the excellencies of God that's who we are and that's our mission but we can't do that if we continue to walk in sin and so the time already passed is enough we need to decide that we've sinned enough And it lists six different things here. And the the first five vices, they're all all practices that refer to some kind of lack of of self-control in some area of life. And so you have sensuality. Uh, It's indulging in sensual pleasures without any kind of moral restraint. Lusts refer to evil craving for sex, but it can also refer to evil craving in other areas of self-gratification. Drunkenness, carousing, drinking parties, they, they all refer to overindulgence in alcohol, and the associated immoral behavior that often comes with those things. I think fake Patty's Day when I think about those three things. It's not to say everyone who went goes down to fake Patty's Day is doing this, but that's what I think when I hear that. The last vice he lists is abominable idolatries, um, idol worship. Of course, that's on the list. He says, you know, God alone is to be our sole allegiance. All that should be done with. And of course, if Peter were writing to us in our day, uh, he would probably keep all these things on the list, but, but it's not like that's it. That's the only things that we, we need to be done with, right? I mean, Peter may add things like materialism, greed, racism, sexism, all sorts of other things. But the point is, whatever the sin is, it's time to be done with it. it has been enough time. Now, I don't think Peter's saying that we will not continue to struggle with sin in this life. The Bible's very clear that that's kind of the journey in this Christian life, is a struggle to keep putting sin to death. I think his point here is attitude, our attitude about sin. Do you have any sense that tomorrow or some day in the future is the day when you're finally going to get serious about sin? Peter's saying, no, today's the day. There's been enough time. Today is the day to decide you've sinned enough. Before we move on, let me me comment on one area of sin that that Peter addresses, and it's the sensuality and, and the lust and that whole area. These are things that we're awash in in our culture, right? I mean, we're just bombarded with these kinds of things, pornography, sexual temptation, of all kinds of things like this. And I know it's not just a struggle for men. I know this is a struggle for men and Women, but I want to say this to the men. In the, the catalog, there is a, a group in there called Peer Desire. And over the last number of years, uh, our care and recovery ministry is, has had these groups, and a, a number of men have been through these and they've found great benefit. And it's a, it's a high commitment group that is dealing with issues of sexual addiction, struggles, temptations. It's a, a year-long group. It's rigorous. It's accountability. It's learning. It's self-discovery. But it's helping you kind of figure out some stuff to help you walk in freedom in this area. And, and I just mentioned this to you guys because that may be the thing you need to say, this is how I'm deciding, that the past is enough. I'm going to sign up for that group. Now That's not the only way you can decide, but that's a very real valid option for you. Ladies, I would just say, you know, we want to begin having groups like that. We just don't yet, but uh, we, in the future, we will, we will get there. We need to choose to be done with sin. And let me just say, uh, that can sound like just kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just get tough enough. We never do this on our own, right? It's never about what I can do. It's never about my own power. It's about trusting God. It's about faith and Spirit of God who dwells within me. Help me put these things to death. And so don't hear me say it's all about your self-will, right? but it's an invitation, it's a decision, it's a choice in asking God to do this in your life. Now, when we do that, when we we make a break from sin, sometimes we will face opposition. It was certainly the case for the Christians in Asia Minor that Peter's writing to here, and it's sometimes the case for us as well. And so he goes on to tell them that you need to be prepared for opposition. Verse 4, he says, in all of this, They are surprised that you do not run with them into the same excesses of dissipation, and they malign you. They malign you. It's very likely that the vices that Peter listed in verse 3 were things that at times were part of family gatherings, they might have been part of civic celebrations, cultural events, even religious celebrations, and so for you, for these people to sort of say, I'm not going to participate in those things was to make a real break from the culture around them, and it set them up for, for opposition, And some of you have experienced this in your own life, right? Before you became a believer, there were things that you did with friends that once you became a believer, you stopped doing those things. The conviction of the Holy Spirit, just the experience of God's love and grace and mercy was so overwhelming and so good in your life that you wanted to turn away from those things and no longer continue to do those things. You wanted to please God. And when you did that, at first, your friends thought you were joking, um, that it is sort of a phase that you were going through, and they were surprised that you didn't run with them in the same way. They believed that once you came to your senses, you would join in with them again. But when you didn't, what first was maybe surprised became a little more ugly, and they begin to be disappointed with you, mad at you. They might have even maligned you. They might have felt judged by you, not because of anything you said, not because of anything you did wrong, but because your changed life is a testimony to how God wants all people to live. Their sinful behavior is exposed and they don't like it. It's very possible that that some of you have been blind just because you're walking with Jesus and some people don't like it because it exposes their own sin. This is the kind of thing Peter's talking about here. We need to understand that sometimes in in our choice to obey Jesus, our choice to walk a godly life, we will alienate others and, and we may suffer for it. And so we need to be prepared for this kind of opposition. If we're not, it might just be easy to sort of go along with the crowd, right? Not knowing and being prepared for that opposition. Let me say this before we move on about facing opposition. Let's make sure that if we face If we're maligned, if we face opposition, if we face some kind of suffering because of our faith, that it really is because of our godliness, that it really is because of our walk with Jesus. Let's make sure we're not facing opposition and suffering because of arrogance, pride, um, intolerance, uh, you know, just self-righteous, unkind ways, you know. Sometimes we suffer for those kinds of things. Um, Let's make sure if we suffer... It's because of godliness, because we're really walking with Jesus. And so to be done with sin, we need to be prepared for opposition. In the last two verses, then, Peter says that the one thing that can really help is to remember that God has the final word. God has the final word. Look at verse 6. So that they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So so people may make judgments against those who choose to obey God. Christ in this life. They may align them, but Peter says that God has the final word. They will give account to God who is ready to judge the living and the dead. There's this coming judgment from which no one will escape. We may suffer in this life for our faith, and sometimes the suffering can be harsh, but but this truth, hanging on to this truth, can sustain us because it helps us see the bigger picture, right? It helps us see from a vantage point of eternity, and it helps us remember That God has the last word, and it's his word that really matters, which is what Peter goes on to talk about in verse 6. He says, For the gospel has for this purpose been preached, even to those who are dead, that though they are judged in the flesh as men, they may live in the spirit according to the will of God. He says, For for the gospel has been preached for this purpose, the purpose that there is a coming judgment coming, and the the gospel prepares us for that. And so that's why the gospel is preached to help people be prepared for that judgment. Now, what does he mean when he says it's been preached even to those who are dead? Um, some have believed that this is connected to what we, were look, what we looked at last week. If you were here last week, Steve talked about that was the most complex, difficult passage. It's the one where Christ went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. Um, some people think that this is a connection to that, but most commentators agree here that the context is different. It's not linked to that. Something different is going on. Others believe this is referring to the preaching of the gospel by the apostles and others during this era of when Peter was writing, they're preaching to those who are physically alive but spiritually dead. It could be that. Most commentators believe, though, that what Peter's talking about here is about Christians in Asia Minor who'd heard the gospel while they were alive and they believed. They became believers, they became spiritually alive but now are physically dead, And so what Peter's talking about here is the truth that human judgments are not not the last word. These believers who were judged in the flesh as men, for some of that judgment, it meant they were maligned. Some of them maybe even suffered death. That's why they are now dead. But that judgment is not the final word because according to God's judgment, they live in the spirit according to the will of God. And so in the face of Human judgments, we need to remember that we have a God in heaven who loves us. It really, it's He has the final say. He has the final word. And we just we need to remember that if 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 we're struggling with opposition because of how we're obeying Jesus. And that can help us be done with sin. Let me close by going back to what Dallas Willard said. Life is precious, yet is wasted with terrible ease. Life is precious but wasted with terrible ease. You will waste your life if you don't come to the place of being done with sin. It is so destructive in being able to experience the life that God has made available to all of us. And so be done with sin. And sin is so distracting from our mission, to be people who are living set-apart lives, proclaiming the excellencies of God, the one who's called us out of darkness and set us into his marvelous light. Sin is distracting from that. And so be done with sin. Take up the mindset of Christ. Resolve that you will walk with Christ regardless of what suffering that might mean. Decide that you've sinned enough. Be prepared for opposition. And if and when that comes, remember that God has the final word. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this word of encouragement. Father, we thank you for the, the unbelievable life that you've made available to us. And that's not just something for heaven, some future day. That is now. And yet, God, sin keeps us from experiencing the life that you, that you want to offer to all of us. And so, God, may we be done with sin. God, you have set us apart, not because we're special or better than anybody else, but because you want your message to be proclaimed to the lost world around. And, and God, we can't do that well if we are not done with sin. And so, God, may we be truly walk as set-apart people, holy people, walking with Jesus. Help us be done with sin, that we can, can live the kind of lives and speak the kind of words that are so winsome and, and drawing people to the knowledge of you, to an experience of you. And God, we need you. We need you for this. As I said earlier, this is not something we can do on our own. We have choices. We have decisions to make. But we need the spirit within us to, uh, to help us take up the mind of Christ, resolve that we're done with sin. And So, Father, that's what we ask for this morning. We, we, we need that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.